0: Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes.
1: Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of Carolyn Eaton, also known as Valentine Sally. On February 14th, 1982, the body of a young woman was found on the side of the highway in northern Arizona. Due to the state her body was found in, they were not able to immediately identify her. So for almost 40 years, Carolyn Eaton was known as Valentine Sally. Finally, in 2021, thanks to a lot of dedicated individuals and advancements in DNA technology, Valentine Sally got her name but the case remains unsolved. This is the case of Carolyn Eaton. It was on or about February 2nd, 1982, in a small town in northern Arizona called Ash Fork. A young waitress named Patty Wilkins was working the night shift at the Monte Carlo truck stop diner. At about 2 a.m., a teenage girl with strawberry blonde hair wearing a maroon and white striped sweater and jeans walks in with a much older man. The man was in his 50s or 60s, wearing a cowboy hat with a peacock feather and a brown leather vest. Patty would later tell reporter Brianna Whitney at EasyFamily.com that the girl that we now know was Carolyn Eaton was pretty and smiled a lot. When Patty took their order, the man ordered a cup of coffee and Carolyn just asked for a glass of water. Although the pair did seem comfortable together like they knew each other and Carolyn seemed happy, Patty knew it was pretty odd to see teenage girls at the truck stop this late at night, especially with an older male. So, Patty walked right over to Carolyn and asked if she was okay. This is something Patty says she'd done with a lot of girls over the years working at the truck stop. The thing is, Patty wasn't just a waitress. Her family owned the entire truck stop, including the diner so she had no issues calling the police on anyone that seemed suspicious. In 1986, Patty told the Arizona Daily Sun, quote, We've been in this little truck stop for 17 years. And as a rule, when a girl comes in off a truck and looks too young, we pull her off. The sheriff's office comes along and they send her home. End quote. But according to Patty, Carolyn seemed to be just fine. She seemed very comfortable. Very comfortable with this gentleman
0: because I asked her, are you okay here? Do you want to stay here? Do you want to leave with him? And she said, yeah, I'll go with him. Like it was her grandfather, her father,
1: uncle, some relative. However, Carolyn did mention that she had a toothache, so Patty crushed up a baby aspirin for her to put on her tooth for the pain. This small detail would be one that would later mean a lot in helping to identify Carolyn. Eventually, Carolyn and this man give Patty a 25-cent tip and leave the truck stop. Unfortunately, Patty never saw the vehicle that this man and Carolyn left in. About two weeks later, on Valentine's Day, an Arizona Department of Public Safety officer responded to a call on Interstate 40 at mile marker 152. A motorist had lost a tire, so the officer was helping search for it when, about 25 feet off the road, In some of the last remaining snow of the winter, he saw Carolyn. Carolyn's body was found face down underneath a tree just one mile away from the Monte Carlo truck stop. She was naked from the waist up, only wearing size 9 Seasons brand jeans. Near her body was her size 36C bra that appeared to have been cut off of her, and next to that was her maroon and white striped sweater. No socks or shoes were ever recovered. Because Carolyn's bra had been cut off, investigators suspected foul play immediately. Also, the belt loops on her jeans were broken, leading investigators to believe that she had likely been killed somewhere else and dragged to this location. The medical examiner noted that the autopsy was quite difficult. They believed Carolyn had been out there for about two weeks. Unfortunately, due to the length of time she was out there and some animal activity, the police couldn't determine the color of her eyes or collect her fingerprints. But they were able to determine that Carolyn was most likely suffocated or strangled. In her coverage of Carolyn's case, Brianna Whitney sat down with retired police chief Stan Kephart. While Kephart didn't work on Carolyn's case directly, he is known as a law enforcement expert. He explained that because Carolyn's hyoid bone, a bone found in the neck, was not broken, it's more likely that she was suffocated rather than strangled. The pressure that comes from the thumbs inward tends to fracture the hyoid bone. That, along with the struggle from the victim, usually will produce a fracture. The autopsy also determined two other very important things. Carolyn had not been sexually assaulted, and a tooth on the left side of her mouth had been drilled for a root canal and aspirin residue was still in the tooth. Blood samples were taken and preserved. At this point, all they knew was that the girl they found was white, with shoulder-length blonde hair, between 16 and 23 years of age, 5 foot 4 inches tall, and weighed about 120 pounds. With no identification, no fingerprints, and no way of knowing who the girl was, they named her Valentine Sally. Carolyn's features were not a match to any missing young women in the area. So, officers at the Coconino County Sheriff's Office began visiting local businesses in the area to see if anyone had seen her. They eventually made their way to the Monte Carlo truck stop and to Patty Wilkins. When investigators ask Patty if she'd seen Carolyn, Patty immediately says yes. I remember seeing a young girl come in with an older man just a few weeks ago. She wasn't entirely sure about the date, but she knew that she had seen her just a few weeks prior. So, of course, these officers ask Patty a ton of questions to figure out if it really was Carolyn that she saw. At one point, Patty mentions the toothache, and the investigator asks if she can remember which side of her mouth the girl had the toothache on. And Patty says, yeah, it was the left side. This is when investigators realize that Patty had likely seen Carolyn just hours before her death. Patty would later identify Carolyn's clothing, further solidifying the match. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder you engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone or if you wanna play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile.
1: Although investigators were able to determine that Patty Wilkins was likely the last person to see Carolyn Eaton alive before she was killed, they still had no idea that Carolyn was Carolyn. She was still Valentine Sally, and all they really had to find out her identity were pictures of her corpse and her dental records. Carolyn was laid to rest in an unmarked grave at Mountain View Cemetery in nearby Williams, Arizona when Patty Wilkins found this out, it did not sit right with her. Although she didn't know who Carolyn was, she knew that she deserved more than an unmarked grave. So, Patty being the absolute hero she is, did something so simple but so impactful. She just put out a little jar at the truck stop, asking for donations for a proper headstone for Carolyn. In just over a month, thanks to the generosity of the patrons of the truck stop, Patty was able to put together $300 for a small ceremony and a headstone that read Valentine Sally. The case sat for two years until 1984, when investigators announced that through expert analysis of dental records, they had identified Valentine Sally as missing Florida teen Melody Cutlip. When authorities notified Melody's family, her mother refused to believe it was her daughter. When authorities offered services to return the body, Melody's mother refused, insisting that there was no way that was her daughter. Obviously, we know that her instincts were correct. And the great news is, she was later reunited with her daughter, who is very much alive and well four years later. Over the next few decades, little progress was made in the case. In the 90s, a sketch of Carolyn was made and circulated by law enforcement, but it didn't produce any major results. In 2005, Carolyn's case was assigned to a cold case team. This team was comprised of three individuals with law enforcement background who just volunteered their time to help. This includes Chuck Jones, a retired FBI agent, Jana White, a retired officer who worked for the Northern State University Police Department and the Flagstaff Police Department, and Joe Sumner, a retired National Park Service investigator. This team worked long hours they didn't have to for Carolyn. But unfortunately, time and passion just wasn't enough. They needed more. Luckily, the Sheriff's Office received a grant from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children for the amount of $300,000. This grant was specifically to help identify the county's John and Jane Doe's. It was a grant for a case just like Valentine Sally's. At this point, they'd preserved her blood samples for 26 years, just waiting for an opportunity. Using those samples, they developed a DNA profile and submitted it to NAMIS, or the National Missing and Unidentified Missing Person System. This is the same database that I submitted my DNA to for Alyssa's case, Basically, they take familial DNA and compare it to unidentified bodies all across the country. Unfortunately, it appeared that no one had submitted DNA for Carolyn, so at that time, there was still no match. Carolyn was still Valentine Sally to the Coconino County Sheriff's Department. In 2015, there was another glimmer of hope for Carolyn. This is when Chuck Jones takes a call from a woman named Jeannie Phelps. She called to speak about her missing sister, Carol Ann Coleman. She was sure Valentine Sally could be her sister. So, Chuck gets a DNA sample from Jeannie and puts it in the system, hoping for a match. And there was. But not to Valentine Sally. On March 5th, 2015, it was announced that Carol Ann Coleman had been matched to a Jane Doe from Louisiana. In one press release, Jeannie said, quote, to anyone out there searching for a loved one, never give up. Regardless of the end result, there is a sense of relief when you finally find them. End quote. The families of Melody Cutlip and Carol Ann Coleman had their answers, but Carolyn was still Valentine Sally. The cold case team at the Coconino County Sheriff's Office didn't give up though. Every winter while crime was at its lowest they'd take out Valentine Sally's case and review it. They spent hundreds of hours comparing the sketch and pictures of Carolyn's body to missing person flyers from all around the country. Inspired by the 2018 arrest of Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., also known as the Golden State Killer, the cold case team partnered with Barbara Ray Venter, a genealogist who worked directly on that case. Venter created another DNA sample and submitted it to DNA databases used by the public, like 23andMe. And this time, they finally found a real match. They identified a cousin of Carolyn's and were then able to narrow it down even further. In their investigation, they were able to find trails for pretty much everyone in the family. Death certificates, marriage certificates, social media profiles, just proof of existence in the world. But there was one family member whose trail stopped in 1979, and that was 17-year-old Carolyn Celeste Eaton from Belfont, Missouri. The Coconino County Sheriff's Office connected with the St. Louis Police Department, and they discovered that Carolyn was one of six sisters, and she had a history of running away as a teenager. But apparently this last time, no one reported her missing. But either way, authorities were sure they had a match so they contacted Carolyn's family. When an officer showed up at the door saying that they needed to speak about a missing person, they knew right away they were there for Carolyn. And we finally got the story of the night she went missing. It was late December 1981, between Christmas and New Year's. Carolyn's family had been out, and when they arrived home, Carolyn was there with two men the family didn't know. An argument broke out. Carolyn said something to the effect of, quote, Oh, I'm so out of here, end quote. And she walked out the door. That was the last time her family ever saw her. How she got from Belfort, Missouri to Ash Fork, Arizona is still unknown. On February 22, 2021, almost 39 years to the day that Carolyn's body was found, the Coconino County Sheriff's Office announced to the public that Valentine Sally was Carolyn Eaton. Patty Wilkins was overjoyed. For decades, she blamed herself for not doing enough to protect Carolyn at the truck stop that night, telling Brianna Whitney, quote, I wasn't there long enough, but I should have been there longer. I should have done more. What could I have done? What should I have done? End quote. But when she found out that her Valentine Sally had her name back, she said, quote, well, I'm going to cry. It's like one of my girls. It's only been me and her, but now she's got a family. Isn't that great? It doesn't get any better. We've got a name, and I'm no longer in charge of her. I love you, and I'm glad you're going home. End quote. This was a huge win for Carolyn's case, but it's only half the battle. She still needs our help we need to figure out who that man wearing the cowboy hat with a peacock feather and a brown leather vest is. Police do believe that he is the man most likely responsible for killing Carolyn Eaton. They also theorize that she likely wasn't his only victim, and this could be the case of a serial killer. This is normally where I would say that brings me right to our call to action. Of course, we'll get to that. But before we do, I want to recognize some of the amazing people who helped Carolyn without even knowing who she was. People who helped move the case forward. People who were, yes, this is going to be cheesy, but you're going to have to deal with it. People who were actual voices for justice for Carolyn Eaton. Because this case is a little older, I used newspapers.com to search for articles about Carolyn. I didn't expect to find much. Until recently, Carolyn was a Jane Doe and authorities didn't have a lot of information about what happened to her. It just makes it more difficult to tell a story about a person we don't know with only a few investigative details. But I did find several articles from a journalist named Larry Hendricks. Larry has written for the Arizona Daily Sun for about a decade. Throughout his career, he has consistently featured Carolyn's case. This episode would not have been possible without his work. I actually reached out to Larry. I just had one question. I wanted to know why he did it. Why he championed for Carolyn's case for so many years. He told me, quote, Everyone has a story, and when I write about an unknown person who died without their story told, it bothers me profoundly. Not sure why, other than it's just so sad, and if I can do anything to tell that story, even a little bit of it, I do my best. End quote. Larry was also very humble and told me that he felt the cold case team deserved the credit. And I absolutely agree. The cold case team that helped identify Carolyn was entirely comprised of volunteers with law enforcement background. So thank you to Chuck Jones, Jana White, and Joe Sumner for volunteering your time when you absolutely didn't have to. Also, a huge shout out to whomever preserved Carolyn's blood samples and evidence for almost 40 years. I have seen so many cases where evidence is lost or destroyed, and maintaining those samples directly resulted in identifying Carolyn. I also want to acknowledge the hard work of AZ family reporter Brianna Whitney. She did some amazing work on this case just before Carolyn was positively identified, Last but not least, Patty Wilkins. Patty is obviously just absolutely incredible for keeping an eye on Carolyn, and literally probably the hundreds of other girls she's helped over the years at the truck stop. It's amazing how she was able to remember all those details about Carolyn and this man. It was incredible that she was able to get Carolyn a headstone, and it's even more incredible that she just cared for all of these years. Some of these contributions may seem small on their own, but together, all of these people worked to ensure that Carolyn was cared for and not forgotten, and, of course, that she got her name back. We are still left with a lot of questions. It's most likely Carolyn was killed soon after leaving the Monte Carlo truck stop with that unidentified man. Unfortunately, we don't have the best description of him. Basically, all we know was that he was white in his 50s or 60s, maybe 5'8 to 5'10, wearing that cowboy hat with a peacock feather in it, and a brown leather vest. It's not much to go on. But what if we could find a picture of him? What if we could find a picture of him and Carolyn? Hear me out. I noticed something I couldn't stop thinking about when I was researching Carolyn's case, and I've never heard anyone talk about it. It's a long shot, but I think it's worth discussing. Where Carolyn was found on Interstate 40 is about an hour and a half away from the Grand Canyon. Specifically, the South Rim, the most visited section of the Grand Canyon. According to the National Park Service, about 2.5 million people visited the Grand Canyon in 1982. That's about an average of 6,800 people per day at the park. What if Carolyn and this man were two of those people? Patty Wilkins told investigators that Carolyn and this man seemed to know each other well. She said she thought it could have been her grandfather. So I have to wonder how much time they spent together, and if they stopped at the Grand Canyon at some point. It is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world, and they were just over an hour away from it. And you guys, what do people do at tourist destinations? they take pictures. If you've ever gone to a popular tourist destination like Disneyland, maybe Bourbon Street in New Orleans, Yellowstone National Park, or the Grand Canyon, you know it can be almost impossible to get a picture without a million strangers in the background of that picture. Again, it might be a long shot, but what if Carolyn and this man went to the Grand Canyon and are in the background of someone's family photo just sitting on their fireplace somewhere? You can't tell me cases haven't been solved in crazier, stranger ways. And at this point, there's really nothing to lose with Carolyn's case. So this brings me to our call to action. In addition to asking you to share Carolyn's photo and story, I want to ask any of you listening out there that went to the Grand Canyon in late January or early February in 1982, or if your parents or grandparents went to the Grand Canyon during that time, Please just take this as an excuse to take a little trip down memory lane and check the background of those photos for Carolyn and her maroon and white striped sweater, or the man with the cowboy hat with the peacock feather and a brown leather vest. Again, cases have been solved in crazier ways. And how absolutely amazing would it be if it was your photo that helped solve her case? As a reminder... Carolyn Celeste Eaton left her home in Belfont, Missouri in late December 1981. On or about February 2, 1982, she entered the Monte Carlo Truck Stop Diner in Ash Fork, Arizona, with a male possibly in his 50s or 60s. He was wearing a cowboy hat with a peacock feather and a brown leather vest. Carolyn was wearing Seasons Designer jeans and a white and maroon striped sweater, Two weeks later, Carolyn's body was found a mile away from the truck stop on Interstate 40 at mile marker 152. Carolyn was 17, with strawberry blonde hair and brown eyes. She was five four and weighed approximately 120 pounds. She had rough, well-heeled scars on the top of her left foot and a 2-inch diagonal scar on the back of her right thigh she also had moles on her chest, pierced ears, and her lower left molar had been opened for a root canal, presumably recently before she was found. Anyone with information about Carolyn's case can call the Coconino County Sheriff's Office at 928-774-4523. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice. Welcome to the Voices for Justice After Show. Wow, I, uh, I've uh, i covered Valentine Sally Carolyn Eaton's case before over on my Patreon. That was, I think, over a year ago, Uh, and there was a lot that I added there. Um, there was a lot that I didn't find the first time. I think I'm just getting better as a researcher, to be totally honest with you. Like I said, it's been a year, Um, so I'm really glad that I revisited this and brought it to the main feed, which, again, is an initiative I'm trying to do. There was also something about this case, about the coverage I've seen on this case. Um, I've seen where, you know, her name is this big reveal, and for me, every single Jane and every single John Doe out there does have a name, we just don't know it yet, so... uh it just felt wrong to call her Valentine Sally throughout the whole episode when I knew damn well her name was Carolyn Eaton. So I hope that you guys enjoyed that. I hope that you enjoy my style of storytelling because I feel like sometimes it's a little bit different than other creators because I'm not willing to do those things. I'm just not willing to wait and reveal that information at the end as a big shocker, especially something like this. I just felt like it was more respectful to call her by her name as I knew it the entire time. Another thing I want to talk about is my little segment where I featured kind of the unsung heroes of this case. Um, You guys know that when I cover these cases, I am very conscious of shifting the the focus away from the victim. It's just something... I don't really feel comfortable doing these episodes are about them, but again, there were so many little unsung heroes in this case that I felt really made a huge difference. Um, Again, as cheesy as it is, they were voices for justice, you know, for Carolyn. It's everything I believe in, and I really hope that it will inspire other people to do the same. It could be something like featuring a Jane Doe case with just a few details over a more notorious one, you know, in your content or on social media, which is something I definitely need to get on. It could be supervising a team in charge of keeping blood samples for 40 years, or it could be just being a little more observant of that teenage girl walking into your place of business in the middle of the night with a much older man. All of these things seem so simple, like they probably wouldn't result in anything, but they all did. And I think that that's really, really powerful. So I hope you enjoyed that little segment because it is something I want to keep doing when it's relevant. And again last but not least Patty Wilkins. This part made me so emotional. Um and that's because you guys know my sister's body has never been recovered and I can only hope that if someone found her they would be kind enough to do something like get her a proper headstone or just love her. Um, So, yeah, a little side thank you again to Brianna uh, Whitney for getting those interviews with Patty, because if it weren't for her work, we would not have been graced with her beautiful voice. Um, Just all accolades to Patty. There was absolutely no reason she needed to do any of that. And she did out of the kindness of her heart and It just keeps me going. It keeps me going. Patty's a hero. I wish I could go meet her and interview her. Um, I do actually, I want to take a trip up to Williams, Arizona. It's a few hours away from me, Um, but I want to go up there. One of the things I couldn't figure out in this case was about her headstone. Um, So on findagrave.com, I was able to see that uh, it appears to still be there. I don't think that Carolyn's family ever moved her body um, but there was there was some weird stuff that went on with her headstone. So when they identified uh, Valentine Sally's body as Melody Cutlip, they actually changed the headstone and put Melody's name on it. So I, I just want to know if if Carolyn's name was ever put on it. Um, and if it wasn't, maybe that's something we can try to make happen, if that's something her family's interested in. Um, either way, I would love to go up there and pay my respects. And See what that's all about and see how I can further help in this case. Um, I think last but not least is my call to action. I I don't know. I hope it makes sense to you guys. To me, it makes so much sense. You're in almost, I mean, you're just over an hour away from the Grand Canyon. It's one of the most popular places in the entire freaking world. What are the chances that, you know, we know that Carolyn was from out of town, right? She's from Missouri, she hadn't been away from Missouri for very long. So I find it, I just, I can just see a scenario where she's possibly with a man that she's gotten to know. We don't know what that looks like over there. We know that she wasn't sexually assaulted. So it's its possible that... Um, Maybe she saw it more as a friendship and maybe he wasn't predatory, uh, you know, until obviously something bad happened. But You know what I mean? It it seems like maybe they could have been on good terms. And if he was like if it was a a hitchhiking situation, perhaps they'd gotten to know each other. They're driving by the Grand Canyon, which, side note, the Monte Carlo truck stop is still there, um, and it's it's not far from the Grand Canyon. An hour and a half seems like a long way, but there's not a lot out there, so I don't think it's crazy to assume that these two got to know each other. Uh, Carolyn's from out of town. She says, hey, why don't we stop at the Grand Canyon? It's a national park. It's free. Um, and they went to the Grand Canyon and maybe they're in the background of somebody's photo. Again, it might be a little, a little crazier, um, than other things I presented on this podcast, but it's like, it's worth a shot. You know what I mean? And again, I've never seen anybody talk about it. So if you dig through your photos, please let me know. Um, I am going to dig through my family photos. I'm going to double check the dates that my family has been to the Grand Canyon and check that out. Um, But yeah, I, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I thought it was pretty cool. I hope it leads to something. It might not, but again, it's worth a shot. Uh, last but not least, just a little update. I have been talking about these Adam Castillo billboards forever, and they went up this week. And uh, his sisters are super, super happy. There is one billboard in Wilcox, Arizona, near where he went missing, and another that basically uh, catches a lot of the traffic going out of Wilcox um, into the cities. So yeah, I really hope that it it produces something. I hope it stirs up some leads for them. Um, But ultimately, I just, I, I am so glad that his family is happy with them and it gives them hope. So yeah, I know we've been talking about these billboards forever. Um, they do take a long time to get up, but they are finally up. They will run for four weeks. Um, and honestly, I just can't wait to buy more families billboards. Um, One of the reasons why I'm such a stickler for billboards, why I love trying to help fund billboards either through Season of Justice, which is the nonprofit organization I'm on the board of. Again, we do fund billboards for families, so go to seasonofjustice.org if you are a family member listening to this who needs a billboard. Um, But one of the reasons I love that type of initiative is because I remember how Alyssa's billboard made me feel. Um, You know what I mean? It It was an undeniable way to make phoenix care about her they could no longer ignore her it didn't matter what was going on with the police it didn't matter how much local media completely avoids her case um they didn't have a choice anymore. Every person on that freeway had to pay attention, whether they liked it or not. Um, and that is something that gave me a lot of hope. Uh, it wasn't me begging people to care or listen anymore. It was a sign right in their faces saying that they, they had to, uh, especially when you're going 70 miles down a freeway or whatever. So, yeah, I just, it's that hope factor. Um, and, yeah, so I really hope, I, I mean, I know I talked to uh, Adam's sisters that, you uh, It's a cool thing. They're excited and I can't wait to uh, give out more billboards because I think it's super cool and I think that they can make a big difference, especially in missing persons cases that haven't had a lot of attention like Adam's. Uh, But yeah, thank you as always for tolerating me, especially my rants here. I know I get really ranty. Welcome to me. This is what I'm like in real life. Uh, So again, thank you for tolerating me. I love you and I'll talk to you next time.